0: Welcome to another episode of The Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean Tobias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. I'd like to welcome Betsy Ziegler to The Reboot Chronicles. Betsy is the CEO of 1871, the number one ranked private incubator in the world. You know, as one of the founding board members myself, many of you have seen my TED Talk about why Chicago really needed 1871. At the time, back then, tech was, uh, well, not so cool, actually. And um, so the talk was really about not just why, but how this diverse community came together, the business, civic, all these different communities, to rapidly reboot and rebuild this tech renaissance in Chicago. Decades later now, with thousands of startup members and about 17 unicorns, 1871 companies have raised over $3.5 billion in venture funding, which is very impressive, as many of you know, and created a sustainable tech ecosystem, more importantly, of tens of thousands of jobs. It's more than just an incubator and accelerator. It's a very different story. 1871 really inspires and supports thousands of entrepreneurs, startups, and corporate innovation types to solve the world's most important problems. With thousands of events and meetings and summits, 1871 also continues to convene technology, business, civic communities from around the world who come together to build the future. They're also inspiring other cities and countries and companies to do the same thing. So it's uh, very impressive. Betsy, it's good to see you.
1: Thank you, Dean. That's a wonderful introduction. I appreciate it.
0: Well, you know, I'm kind of an insider, so it's as most would know. But it's longer, a longer intro Indeed. than I, longer intro than I would do. But it's been a wild ride. I mean, most people don't know is this effort started at the turn of the century, really, right after the dot com bust, and finally they opened up a center later. But you know, so much to talk about. Um, I was reading something the other day, and one of the things I saw you said is that you know entrepreneurs are the heartbeat of an organization, which is pretty uh, commonly known, right? But um, and, and you said, you know, they are why 1871 exists. I love that part. And it's always your first priority is to them. And I was just wondering, yeah. you know, if you could tell your buddy, you know, how do you do that? I think that's a great way to introduce what is the platform, but how do you actually make them the most important?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And as you know, we have entrepreneurs that range from I have an idea to I have a company with customers and revenue that's continuing to scale. They're all entrepreneurs. They're just at different stages of their, of their journey. And, and by all accounts, they are the heroes of the 1871 story. Um, I think that. The way we do that is a a couple of fold. The first is we have deep clarity about what they need, depending on where they are on that curve. And we know that because we talk to them constantly. What, where are you? What pace are you trying to go at? What is the ultimate vision? What does success look like for you? Right over and what's working that we're supporting? What's not working? and at the end of the day
0: yeah.
1: my job and my A team's of job if you are yeah and then they my job and my team's job if you were to ask any of them they would say is to increase the probability of success of the every person that we're supporting and shorten that time frame for them to reach it depending on their goals their timeline not our timeline their timeline. And I think it's just like, they, that's super ingrained in the team culture. So that's that like, that's the mantra and that allows us to be, to put them right at the center.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, John Chambers was on um, a few weeks ago. And we talked about, you know, old technique leaders like us, I think he called us uh, how we can see around corners and we've got the muscle memory and the connected tissue, all the buzzwords. Right. But it was really good. Um, and I asked him at one point, I'm like, you know, at what point does the, the, the advice of the history, the historical incubation and curation of startups, really helping the future because all the rules have changed. It's so much easier, in my opinion, to start and uh, a company now. It's harder to sustain yeah. it. There's a lot of yeah. oligopolies out there. Tech has changed, and what? How does that help? I mean, what has that changed your filter? What do you look for when someone wants to join the organization as a startup as a paying member? What uh, what's your yeah. what's your sweet spot? What are you looking for?
1: Well, to be honest, since we're a nonprofit, my job is about opportunity and access versus anything else. And as you know, Dean, but perhaps others don't know, we don't have a fund, and so we're not invest. We have no nothing at stake with any of these companies. So my only goal is to try to help as many people as possible be as successful as possible. And so what we care about is that they've got you know that that basically two things. One, we believe we can help them. So if the problem they want to solve or the way they want to solve it is something that is outside of our purview, e.g. they want to make a physical product or e.g. they are opening a restaurant chain, right? That's not we're not going to be able to be helpful. So that's number one. And number two is if they are companies that if they are people that we think are coming in only to sell to other members, Not like they're coming in as a B2B, but they're coming in literally just to (laughs) just to sell their wares to the other members. Now, that's hard to predict on the front end. But those are the two reasons we say no. Um, Obviously, the companies that end up being more successful, the ones that after they launch get traction, we see some different characteristics with those companies. But it's not about the selection process. That's about how they've developed over time.
0: Yeah. And, you know, those of you that haven't been to 1870. if you ever get to Chicago, I encourage it. but it it is definitely built by and for the community. And, and you have yeah. all types of cohorts, whether it's, you know, mm-hmm. Latinos, blacks, women's, all different types of, uh, you know, groups that are like, Hey, entrepreneurialism can be found anywhere. <laughs> and yeah. and yeah. it's still, you're still facing a, a hit rate though. It's like, you know, there, there's still a, a, just a, devastating track record of startups around the world is like what percentage of them really make it. So the numbers are all over the place, but it's, it's sometimes right. single digits. So how do you help bend that curve a little bit? I think you founded a couple of programs since you've been there doing some crazy work on, I think one of them, is, is it uh, Prios, Prios. Uh Pyros. On the education side?
1: Yeah, Piros. that's right. Yeah. So the, so I, first of all, does
0: that, does it you help? know, the
1: facts are it does help um the the i think it helps in a couple of different ways which i'll i'll try to give you an example or two i think startup failure rate remains high i mean that's just, that is the nature of the beast i think you know you've spent as yep. much time as me if not more working with these kinds of companies and so the reason companies fail are you you know you didn't build something that customers wanted or you did but you didn't but you didn't price it the right way or you didn't manage you know the the, your income statement the right way, such that you couldn't couldn't sustain yourself and um <laughs> so, uh, yeah. the py- somewhere between a
0: and an income statement, statement right
1: <laughs> yeah exactly well fair enough so yeah exactly um the pyros program basically is built around four themes product strategy, market strategy leadership, and like um operations we used to call it business fundamentals, but think of it as like Operating strategy. And depending on whether you are exploring an idea or you're building the first version of your product or you've launched, we have content around those four pillars that translate into 16 learning milestones that people have to go through before they can move from explore to build or build to launch. And that, um, some people do explore multiple times because they come in with an idea. And you've seen this, right? You come in with a solution. And you're just dead set on like you've fallen in love with your solution versus falling in love with your problem. And so I think we we help a lot of people figure that out before they leave their job or invest tons of money or you know, kind of go down paths that are hard to unwind from and allow them to reset and find other ideas that they're that they're excited about. I think um I think when you get further down the path, right, you've done customer discovery, you have a first version. It takes long time to get to product market fit for most companies, as as you are, as you share that concept. Um, I think it's the 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 way we help shortcut. We help them prevent m- making mistakes because we have that. You talked about it with John Chambers, that muscle memory, that pattern recognition. But we also help walk them in to customers if they're B two B, or we help walk them in to capital if they're ready to raise capital, whether that's angel or more institutional. And so I think like we literally, you know, I spend most of my weekend, uh, nobody feels should feel bad for me. I don't mean like I spend a couple hours every weekend fulfilling the promise of introducing people that I've made in the previous weeks to help them, you know, get to that next step.
0: Well, yeah, it's just speaking as a board member, I mean, that's kind of how it was founded, different from any other city. Having run companies on both yeah. the coasts and other countries, there's no, I don't think there's, there's you cannot find a more supportive ecosystem that that is sustainable. Executives, people introducing each other, helping each other, especially that early, early stage, um, than the Midwest. I'll just call it the Midwest instead of Chicago. Yeah, it's, I think that's, it's, um, that's right. What, what do they call it? The underdog syndrome, and and um, I'm starting to see that in other places around the world now. They're they're kind of getting it. I mean, you've, we've taught some of them this, right? It's like, hey, you can't just leave it to serendipity and fate, and right. you can fix all the things that you just talked about with training and and education. And um, but we still we still run into those fundamental problems. You know, the uh, the National Science Foundation. I'm a mentor coach there, an advisor of yep. sorts, and. So these are scientific groups, as you're very familiar with. Professors um, coaching them around not falling in love with their problem—it's—it's—it's it's, um, it's tough. And and I, I think entrepreneurs, most people don't understand, it's even tougher. But these days, I think they're more open to, hey, here's the track record. We're here to help you—you you know, fix it. And um, would you say your team spends most of the time on 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 that, or is is it more education, or is it more connection? Is it more the the helping and the doing and facilitating or yeah, what's the secret sauce? Do, everyone, wants to, everyone wants to know your secret sauce. Yeah,
1: the, you know, the, the secret sauce is just, is the people that you just mentioned, right? It's, it's the people, right? It's the board, it's the mentors, it's the, it's, it's the, it's the community themselves and how they're invested in one another. I don't mean invested in dollars. I mean, invested in empathy and support. I mean that every Monday I have orientation and I welcome everybody. And I talk about that, that this is, a community that actually cares about one another. And so when I think about my team, my team has is organized in three parts. I've got an experience team. I've got a product team, which I think is pretty unique for a nonprofit. And I've got an operations team or enabler enabling functions. So enabling functions are marketing, facilities, because we have a big space, as you know, technology, etc. cetera. On the experience team, the team has their focus on the, on the early stage, growth stage, late stage, and corporate, um, as well as our channel partners. And so they're there to, like, just envelop those people with, with support and being, right. you know, yeah. quick to answer. Not that I'm going like this, but this is what you call old school. Like, this, this is obviously old school. Quick to answer the text. Quick to answer the Slack. Quick to, you know, be responsive about, here's what we can help you with, et cetera. And then the product team is the one that's really coming to the table saying, Here is the curricular experience. Here is the, um, you know, the lab experience, which we'll probably talk about in a few minutes. Like, like they're designing those based on what we, what we hear people need. And so in terms of like how they spend a portion of my team's time is a hundred percent person to person with the members. That's like a third of my team is, is, is doing that.
0: Yeah, it's tough to scale, but it seems like you've figured it out. You know, in that original TED Talk I mentioned, this is a long time ago, yeah. but um, yeah. I brought up four roles that I thought helped us become successful faster. I usually don't brag about it, but, you know, could have gone out of yeah. business at any moment, right? And I, so I brought up these four roles, yeah. spotters, planners, builders, sustainers. So now you're kind of in the sustainer mode, right? And the three yeah. that I identified yeah. now, then, there's many more, it's like mentors, connectors, which you've already mentioned sometimes they call us coaches now, um, but ambassadors, sure. the people that go out, you know, like some of your board members, when we're traveling around the world, we're waving the flag. Yeah. And next thing you know, you're talking to someone in, in India. What, what do you think's the, the, uh, you know, in the, in the, we're in the 2024 here, what's the, what's the sustainable secret sauce now? Because there's, you know, as you know, you travel around the world, there's incubators, accelerators used to be such a rare thing. Now they're everywhere. Yeah. Some would say there's too many, uh, present yeah. company excluded, of course.
1: Um, I think that, well, if I think about why startups matter, just like at the macro level, if you look at, um, the job growth, like net new jobs in the United States over the last three decades, roughly 40 million net new jobs, a hundred percent of them came from small businesses. Now, not all of those are startups per se, but a huge chunk of them are startups, and right. uh new jobs are the only way to keep the, the you know the the economy growing and obviously in at least maybe I shouldn't say obviously, in my opinion, fastest way to personal wealth creation, again, whatever that number is for different people. <clears throat> and so I think that there's totally there's, no totally, totally in totally right. there's no There's and, no and by the way, that is we well I'm sure we'll talk about some of the you know, you, you mentioned some of the affinity groups already, but part of i think the success we've had more recently is is that that early stage founder group is coming ever closer mirroring the city of chicago and as you work on that wealth creation that supports the narrowing the wealth gap and as you narrow the wealth gap that improves um social security i don't mean social security the government i mean how people how secure people feel socially which then improves social justice, was then improves health outcomes and educational, out- you know, it spins the wheel. And so I'm, I'm less, I don't yeah. think we're, I don't think we're gonna have a demand problem. Meaning I think that there's, I think that as, uh, entrepreneurial aspiration and talent is everywhere. Uh, opportunity and access is not. And so there's more, we have a higher membership now than we've ever had in the history of 1871 across the board, but specifically for those early stage founders. Um, and I think part of that is because we've gone virtual so we can meet people where they are, even if they're not like in driving distance to down or or train distance to downtown Chicago. so I'm less worried about not having uh the the demand. I think for me, it's just you know a i and some of these other things that are coming through that are gonna dramatically i think disrupt company formation venture capital right and how how fast can we move to stay? ahead of that and help, help these folks yeah. get to the next level.
0: Yeah. We've talked a lot about that on the show and in some cases, enabling technology is going to make it easier for some startups for, in others, other cases, it's going to basically throw their business model out the door. So another thing you do uh, really well is uh, corporate innovation. And some people know the, uh, the program I started up, um, gosh, I yeah. think it was when I was at Kellogg was uh, the dancing with startups program. The first which brings corporates and startups together. The first couple that we hosted was at 1871. And it was kind of a foreign concept back then. Exelon was the first, then Whirlpool, then a couple others. And they all eventually became good partners of 1871 and cycled through. But you've you've kind of put the corporate... Uh, innovation program on steroids, which is great. You've got a lot of great partners, you know, everyone from from Accenture and AbbVie and and Discover and United and Microsoft and the list goes on. Um, Not just corporate supporters of 1871, but actual ones that come in and engage with the ecosystem and engage with the teams and really build stuff. Um, How's how's that going?
1: Yeah, it's going pretty well. I mean, the the Mac, Mac, you know, We ride the wave of the macro economy with everybody else. I think the distinction you're making is really important between what we call sort of supporters or uh, problem solving. And so we want, we're doing a much better job now than we've been able to in the past to actually help them on solving their problems. And there are three predominant problems that are questions that they ask us How do I attract and retain? innovative talent. Number two, how do I unstick innovation that's stuck inside of the bureaucracy and the process of what we call the core or think of it the headquarters? It's not really about sp- place, but just the kind of in the machine, stuck in the machine. I can't make it move faster. And the third one, how do I connect to the external world. Who should I be talking to? Who should my my leaders be spending time with? What organization should I be part of? And I think as an, and you and I have talked about the following before as a nonprofit, we get the benefit of having, of, of not having an ulterior motive. We have no ulterior motive. Our only job is to help people be successful on the flip side. Right. As a nonprofit, you know, it's taken us a longer time to build, credibility and being able to move the needle. But now that we have, and with the names that you just mentioned, right, that, that, and then because they keep coming back, right, that is the, that is the proof that we're actually helping those companies do whatever, you know, whatever they're trying to do to move from here to here in whatever, you know, team or function um, that they're focused on.
0: Yeah. Those of you that are listening from around the world um, and maybe not watching us, Chicago um, Chicago's a very unique. So I mentioned two types of partners. There's m- every corporation in Chicago uh, helps, gives money, resources, time, talent to 1871 with nothing in return. They don't expect anything. It's a civic pride thing. And what Betsy yeah. just went through is like, Hey, we have a certain group of corporate partners that are always cycling through on programs. The list I read is just ones that are right now. Um, and they're actually getting work done and using us and enabling us. and and um, you mentioned three things there though. The, so they loved the engagement with people and finding talent. They love kind of like the connection ecosystem. What they really struggle with is the ghost in the machine you talked about, which is yeah, exactly. they still can't fix it. And if they try to, that really distracts them. So they might as well just focus on, hey, let's just work with you and get the get something done. Let's not try to fix our corporate morass and, and bureaucracy. And I've, I've and there's no shortage of companies that say, that, that, that say they'll help you do that. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, let's just get some work done here. And that, that seems pretty refreshing to me when I, when I walk around 1871 and see these corporates engaging with entrepreneurs, you know, on a different vocabulary. And they come out months later with, you know, sometimes a product, a venture or a, some type of deal.
1: Yeah, for sure. And on that, on that middle one, the, like the hardest one, the real change management one that you're talking about, the ghost in the machine, I like that language.
0: Change men, that's have a, a polite couple. word, yes.
1: <laughs> we do have a couple of organizations that have teams that are working through our innovation studio, which basically pairs them up with founders. So so like a day or day and a half a week, they're working as a team on whatever their objective or mission is from their organization. And they're doing that in parallel and in partnership with the founders that are figuring out how to build their business. And that's important um, uh, for lots of, you know, it makes people feel cool, right? It's unique. They Their company can't do that for them on their own. And then like 20% of the time, then they have to focus on stuff that's only appropriate for corporates because, of course, building a company where you're raising your own capital is different than uh, having corporate capital.
0: The other thing I've seen both, um, let's just say around the world, but... You know, there's some for profit groups doing this versus nonprofit. You've got, yeah. I think, more luxury of time and therefore you are more in tune with the big ones. But they, you know, there's this two way coaching and mentoring where, you know, the entrepreneurs are kind of helping the, the big dogs and the big dogs are trying to coach them. They need to understand what they're coaching them on. They're not going to make them necessarily better entrepreneurs. But does um, that still work?
1: So can you get, can you give an, ex- when you, s- me a, one more. Just, you know, sure two-way mentoring
0: for the, you know, the executives are kind of mentoring startups. Startups are really helping and mentoring certain execs. Yeah. To be,
1: yeah, become I think a little it bit is. more
0: what each other are.
1: Yeah, I think it is. It's probably not quite as, it, it's certainly happening. Well, it's happening in both ways. I don't know if everyone always understands that it's happening in both ways. You know <laughs> so So, Um, the startups are certainly young, young, not young people, but young companies are spending time with bigger companies and they're sharing feedback and talking back and forth. And I'm hopeful that both, both sides, both sides are listening to that and like having a reflective moment. I don't, I can't say that it's that part is (laughs) all.
0: No, it's okay. You brought brought up another point. Does Chicago have a higher, let's call it the Midwest, a higher average age entrepreneur than uh, the coasts?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think we, uh, the average age at 1871 is, it was 39 when I first started and that was in early 2018. I think it's about 37 right now, but that's pretty high. You know, normally when people think about a tech hub, that's high. Or yeah. they think, oh, you know, it's going to be a bunch of 19 and 20 and 21 year olds. And like, I'm not going to fit in, but we've got a lot of, we got we We have a lot of people and i don't I do not know if this is unique to um to the midwest we have a lot of people who had a career in corporate or in a professional service, you know lawyer accountant, et cetera, and now has decided to be an entrepreneur as their next phase and so right and because we've got five hundred of these early stage founders you know it's a it's a relatively big number. We've got, you know, we certainly have the spread.
0: Yeah, makes sense. And I, I advise most of my students to, you know, do your corporate thing, but also have another thing on the side, whether you're volunteering at seventy one yeah. or somewhere else and 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 yeah. go back and forth or yeah. don't or leave the corporate world and, and go entrepreneurial. I might push that one too yeah. hard. Um, the other thing I've noticed <laughs> in incubators, accelerators, innovation labs is there's a lot of chaos going on. And for me as an old startup guy, it's like, that's normal. But you have seemed to have brought a sense of organization to this corporate innovation thing. You've put together labs, everything from AI to um, fintech and food tech, one of my favorites, and even cannabis. I didn't know that was a, a tech category. But um, how how is that helping kind of drive the entrepreneurial ecosystem?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question. And, and uh, all credit goes to my team for coming up with that as a concept, in particular, the product team. Um, uh the idea of these, so if you think about what 1871 does that might be, un- that we think is unique relative to others across the globe, is that we cover that full maturity curve. I've already talked about that from idea to, to uh, you know, Fortune 50. Um, but because we cover that curve, we can bring that community together in different ways than others can. Meaning. We have some stuff that's just for each segment, and then we have other things that bring them all together. And one of the ways we do that is through this innovation lab concept. We have seven labs planned for 2024. We're kicking off 2024 with cannabis and Web3. When I say that, I mean they're running in parallel. That doesn't mean they're intertwined. So there's a cannabis cohort, there's a Web3 cohort. Then we'll do AI and insurance, food tech. Dean back in the summer, supply chain and fintech.
0: Supply chain is a, a great example. because Chicago, as many may or may not know, is a distribution hub of the world. So there, you've mm-hmm. got a lot of pent up demand. Actually, all the, those categories, I would say it's the highest. Fintech is pretty good too, and but everything's starting yeah. to emerge in, 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 in food wise. So yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's still a lot right there. That's that's a full right. that's a full uh, that's a full load.
1: And so we bring in the lab. We've got the corporates who are looking to accelerate, a, you know, progress against a problem they're solving, and or give professional development to their team. And the growth stage companies are joining because they want cash and contracts. And so it's turned yeah. out to be a model that's able to replicate and 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 scale. Frankly, and so we've been really pleased with it, and we're. Um, quite bullish on that as a, as a strategy for, for this coming year.
0: Yeah. You hit it on a good one. Whenever I give entrepreneurs advice, they're like, what's your best advice? I'm like, well, you mean in terms of fundraising? They're like, yeah. Cause that's usually what they want to talk about. I'm like the best form of yeah. fundraising. It's, it begins with an R it's called revenue. Yeah, it's non-dilutive <laughs> too. Sometimes. Well, you got a lot going on there. Um, uh, you mind sharing some personal stories? We always want to know what you know. What's been your biggest reboot you you went through? You're like me; you've been kind of Renaissance dancing in a lot of industries. But yeah, uh, you know, what's been some of the toughest? What's what's the toughest challenge you went through when you kind of rebooted yourself?
1: Which time? The most <laughs> the most recent time. So, just for the audience background, <laughs> I was a McKinsey partner, uh, working in insurance left and became a uh, went to Northwestern University was an associate dean so that was reboot number one I think then reboot number two was to go from there to to 1871 and and when I look at those three different careers they're obviously super super different at like in the role but from my perspective in each of them every day I've gotten I've every day for you know, 30 years I've woken up in service of helping somebody else be successful. And, you know, whether that was a client or a student or a faculty member, and now a, an entrepreneur. And so that's sort of the thread that kind of keeps me together. In terms of challenges, woo, you know, like there's <laughs> a lot. When I went to univer- the university, I thought, well, that I mean, the, you started
0: uh, out in the fire, right? Yours is kind of opposite. You started out in the fire, went into the frying pan, which is usually easier because yes. you, know, you started out. Mackenzie's not an easy yeah. place; not an easy place to survive. So it really yeah. prepared you for to yeah. bring a, a, a level of calm entrepreneurialism to this uh, to this uh, global fight of you know creating next generation of wealth and people, and it's it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, you might remember that like the first Crane's article was. Uh, well, she's a McKinsey partner, so we'll see if she can do it. And I'm like, okay, that was right when I got announced. And I think it's a different style. That's you know, I took best. over from the the phenomenal Howard Tullman. You know, who's a who's a great friend and a very has a very different style and very different background. But I think both can be successful depending on what you're trying to achieve.
0: And when you think about that, let maybe we just leave it there. What um, when you think about you, what you just went through uh, over the last X many years, we won't say what what advice do you you know, want to give? let's say younger folks entering the workforce today?
1: Oh, I've got a couple of pieces of advice, but I'll, I'll probably stick to up, up, maybe I'll full. So I have, f- I have five life models. I'll share one and maybe half of the other one, which is, um, okay. uh, you, you know, your life story is a summary of the choices that you make. And so you make it, you know, make a choice and then, if it's not a good choice for you, just change, change the answer. Right. Um, And that would tie into another one, which is acting with intent and owning your life. It took me a long time to really figure out what owning my life meant. I was 37 when I first figured it out, when I first really figured it Mm -hmm. out. And it it was, and you've heard, Dean, you've heard this story, but I was feeling stuck middle of the economic crisis in 09 wrote down a list of the 40 things I wanted to do by the time I was 40. And just like on a piece of paper, you know, quick. And that whole, that changed my whole mindset, my whole orientation of how I thought about like, well, wait, my, what's my role in my life. And so when I, whenever I talk to my team, which is very young or younger folks coming up, I, I try to talk about that even though some of it you have to learn before you get it, like Some of it you have to experience before you actually understand the lesson. But I'm hopeful that you plant a seed in the back of the brain that they can refer back to over time when it becomes relevant to them.
0: Right. Right. Great, Betsy. I want to thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to Betsy Ziegler, who's the CEO of 1871. This is Dean Tobias with the Reboot Chronicles. I want to thank you for joining us today. We'll see you soon.